If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel Winograd. For today's episode, we're going back to the AI. I don't always like to do things back to back like this. I like to mix it up, but for today's episode... As I talked about last week, I kind of want to keep expounding upon this idea of does the state protect property rights? And in last week's episode, I thought we did a pretty good job of starting to unpack that topic. I want to go back to that initial conversation at a later episode, but I'm kind of doing things out of order here for a reason, because the more we got into where we, I shouldn't refer to the AI as a person, but it's up of the tongue. The more I had that conversation with the artificial intelligence, the chat GPT, the more it would basically hand wave away any concessions or any affirmations of my arguments and the points that I was bringing up by saying that, well, basically all these things you're pointing out about the state are explained away or made okay by having a democratic state. And basically, if we have democracy, that makes everything better. And so I knew at the time that at some point I'd have to go and actually challenge the AI on the virtues of democracy. And so I kind of said, let's leave democracy off the table and then continue the conversation. But I don't want to just to kind of make it clear that I think that there is a strong argument against democracy, I want to tackle that first and then at some point go back and finish that thread out on does the state protect property rights. And democracy is an important thing to kind of hone in on and give it its own episode. I haven't really touched on it so much on this podcast yet, but for those of you who are longtime listeners of me or who are longtime libertarians, this probably won't come as too much of a surprise, but to maybe some of my newer audience or to people who are still exploring libertarianism or curious about libertarianism and political anarchism, the idea that there are people within the libertarian philosophy and mindset who are not down with democracy might be surprising. And I also have to acknowledge that there are those in the camp of libertarianism who are fans of democracy. And so from the onset here, I think it's important to delineate that I think that you can think that democracy is good or at least think it's the least bad form of a like monopoly governance. And while I would disagree with that, I don't think it's a inherently anti-intellectual or anti-Christian view. Like I have much more of a problem with like Christian nationalism or with things like fascism and communism and socialism 
than I do with like people who think that our constitution and a basic democratic republic and federalism are good things. That's sort of what I would classify as within the classical liberal tradition from which libertarianism is born. And so I don't want to make intellectual enemies necessarily out of people who hold that viewpoint or that don't come away from this episode and find themselves completely agreeing with me. But I guess there's two things I hope to accomplish with this episode is one to at least make the case for how democracy is limited and not just a instant fix to the problems of statism and monopoly civil governance. And to even explain why I why people don't just point out the flaws of democracy and limitations, but why there is, a, I believe, a solid argument against democracy and that it's actually not a valid or legitimate form of governance. And I guess the third thing that needs delineated here is what do we mean by democracy? Because if we're just talking about people voting, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with voting or coming up with some sort of consensus or representation in arbitrating matters of business or disputes or anything. If that is done in a consensual way, done in a way that's compatible with what the Bible says about morality and human interactions, which I believe, of course, lines up with what libertarianism is. And so democracy within like a workplace, democracy within a church, democracy in our everyday lives, I think has a place. And I'm not going to war against that. I want to make that clear. Specifically, what I'm going to war against in this episode is against democracy, like capital D democracy, as in like democratic nation states or democratic civil governances when we're talking about like the civil magistrates and the administration of civil justice and handling property disputes, etc. And using specifically using the democratic processes as justifications for what I view as an inherent violation of property rights. Again, going back to last episode, I believe that the state by its very nature violates property rights and it actually exists via the initiation of coercion and violence. And I don't think that giving people the ability to vote within this system, whether it's voting directly on leaders or representatives or voting directly on laws or resolutions or referendums or et cetera, I don't think that this solves the problem. I could say that it might be preferable to other forms of monopoly governance in some ways, but it doesn't actually meet the bill in terms of, I think, making the state a salvageable entity. So now that I've done seven minutes of caveat and <laughs> laying the groundwork, let's get into it. So the angle that I wanted to get into was tackling this from the angle of consent, because essentially what a lot of people do, what the AI did in the last episode, was it sort of conflated democracy with consent. It basically said, if I attacked the social contract or if I attacked the inherent nature of the state being an entity of coercion, democracy was just sort of used as the, well, people are consenting to this because they can vote on things and et cetera. And so... I thought, okay, let's start over. So it's like a fresh GPT. The OpenAI can remember past convert, like remember the conversation that you had in a certain thread, 
but I wanted to like wipe the slate clean and start a new thread. And so that thread, the AI entitled Consent Explained. So I started out by asking, what is consent? The AI's answer is, consent refers to the voluntary agreement or permission given by an individual who is capable of making informed decisions. It is an essential concept in human interactions, particularly in the context of personal boundaries, relationships, and sexual activity. Consent implies that the person understands the situation, has the freedom to make a choice, and gives explicit permission for a particular action or activity to occur. In the realm of interpersonal relationships and sexual encounters, consent is crucial to ensure that all parties involved engage in activities willingly and without coercion or force. It should be enthusiastic, ongoing, and can be withdrawn at any time. Consent should be clear, communicated, and based on mutual understanding between all parties involved. It is important to note that consent cannot be assumed or implied from silence, passivity, or a lack of resistance. It should be explicitly expressed, preferably through verbal communication or other forms of clear affirmative actions. Consent must be freely given and cannot be obtained through manipulation, threats, or exploitation. The understanding and practice of consent are fundamental in promoting healthy relationships, a respect for personal boundaries, the prevention of harm or abuse, and understanding morality. Which I thought was a fine answer. <laughs> and right away, if you're thinking along the lines of what libertarians say about the state, you might start understanding the direction that I'm going here. So my next question was, and they already kind of answered this, but I'm trying to hone in on it, see if there's any nuance that yeah, I want to throw in here. Can consent come while someone is being threatened or coerced? The AI plainly said, no, consent cannot be given while someone is being threatened or coerced. Consent requires a person to have the freedom to make a voluntary and informed decision. Any form of coercion, manipulation, or threat undermines a person's ability to freely give consent. Consent must be given without any external pressure, force, or fear. And if someone is being threatened or coerced into giving consent, it is not valid or genuine. In such situations, the person's autonomy and ability to make an independent choice are compromised, and the concept of consent is violated. It is crucial to prioritize the well-being and safety of individuals, and any form of coercion, intimidation, or manipulation in obtaining consent is unethical and potentially illegal. Respecting personal boundaries and ensuring that consent is freely given is essential for healthy and consensual interactions. My next question was, what if I tell someone I need their money or property in order to do something good for society. And if they refuse, I'll have to use force to make them comply. Is that consensual? The AI said, no, that scenario does not involve consent. Informed consent requires that individuals have the freedom to make a voluntary decision without coercion or the threat of force. In the situation you described, when someone is being told that the force will be used if they refuse to comply, their decision is not truly voluntary. Consent should be based on a genuine understanding of the situation and a willingness to participate. Coercion, which includes threats or the use of force, undermines a person's ability to make an autonomous choice. It is important to respect the rights and the autonomy of individuals and to seek mutually agreed upon solutions rather than resorting to coercion or force. 
if you believe in a cause or have a proposal for the greater good, it is essential to engage in open and honest communication, allowing individuals to make their own decisions based upon their values and personal considerations. Respect for autonomy and consent are key principles in ethical interactions. I would add that this sort of reminds me of the libertarian mantra, which is that good ideas don't require force. If what you're proposing is for the greater good of society, you should be able to demonstrate that what you're proposing is good, whether it's like a study or showing people examples or evidence of of how it would benefit them and benefit the people around them, and then giving people the free choice to give you money or support that you need to make that a reality. And if you can't convince people to willingly participate, well, then that at least throws some doubt into whether or not you are offering is actually good for people. Not that everyone would necessarily participate because people are, might not be able to afford it or might choose to give their money elsewhere to other good causes. But if you can't get anyone to fund you or if you can't get enough people to fund you, people who believe in free markets and capitalism not just anarchists and libertarians would say generally in market settings, if you can't get enough people to do business with you, then maybe that's a failing on your part in a, you need to do better than the competition and become more innovative, find a way to give a better product at a lower cost or explain to people why you're offering a greater value to justify the cost that you're asking. That's how free market competition works. And it is at least a question as to why that is not applicable to those in government. But that is a little bit of a tangent. Going back to the AI, so I asked, what if I made it so that the person was raised to believe that they owed me whatever money or property I tell them that they owe me? And the threat of force is still implied if they don't cooperate, but they willingly give me their money because they have been raised to believe that they should. Is that consensual? As you can see here, I'm trying to like build a case layer by layer. It's like I'm starting with like the most obvious examples of, well, no, that doesn't make it okay. And no, that doesn't make it okay. I'm giving away a little bit what I'm doing here, but I keep on building it layer by layer, making it more and more match the status quo, but without actually using the words state or democracy until later on. You'll see, but I'm just giving a little bit of a foreshadowing of where we're going here. So the AI answered, in the scenario you presented where a person has been raised to believe that they owe you money or property and there is an implied threat of force, it is important to consider the concept of informed consent. While the person may willingly give you their money due to their upbringing and beliefs, the presence of coercion and implied threat of force undermines the voluntariness of their decisions. Consent requires that individuals have the freedom to make an independent and informed choice without being subject to undue influence, manipulation, or coercion. In the situation you described, the person's upbringing and the implied threat of force create an environment that significantly influences their decision-making process. Their understanding of the situation and their ability to freely choose may be compromised due to the power dynamics and the conditioning that they have experienced. True consent is based on the individual's ability to understand and evaluate the situation independently, free from manipulation, coercion, if the person's decision is influenced by a power imbalance or a threat of force, it cannot be considered consensual. And it goes on to the end of every response, it kind of says like, 
a little disclaimer about the importance of consent, and I'm not going to necessarily keep repeating that. So then I ask, what if instead of one person, it's a group of people? Let's say there are five people and four of us decide to rob the fifth person. That isn't consensual, correct? The AI says, correct. The scenario you described where a group of people decides to rob another person does not involve consent. Consent cannot be given where there is coercion, force, or the violation of someone's rights. In the situation you presented, the four individuals who decide to rob the fifth person are acting without that person's consent. Robbery is a criminal act that involves taking people's property against their will to clear violation of the person's autonomy, rights, and personal boundaries. Skipping some of the AI repeating itself, I then asked, now what if the five people voted as to whether or not the fifth person would be robbed or not? And the money being stolen was for something that's supposed to be good for society. The four people vote to rob the fifth person. The fifth person participated in the vote. If they hadn't participated in the vote, they still would have voted to rob him. Is that consensual? The AI responds, even in the scenario where a group of five people votes on whether or not to rob the fifth person, it does not change the fact that it is a violation of consent. The act of robbery involves taking someone's belongings or property without their permission and against their will. Consent is not determined by a majority vote or by involving the individual in the decision-making process. Consent requires voluntary agreement, understanding, and the freedom to make an independent choice without coercion or force. In the scenario you presented, the fifth person's participation in the vote does not make the act consensual. Their participation may be influenced by various factors, such as the power dynamics, fear, or manipulation, and even if they had not participated in the vote and the majority still decided to rob them, even more so, it would be a violation of their consent. It, it kind of phrased it awkwardly there, but what it means is that, like, it's even worse that, like, if they hadn't participated, then it doesn't, like, they're not opting out. Like, their lack of participation doesn't opt them out of the results of the vote. They get their rights violated or potentially violated in either case. Respecting individual autonomy and consent means that decisions regarding personal property and boundaries should not be subjected to the will of others, especially through coercive or forceful means. So then I said, well, what if instead of, because I was wondering, okay, I don't want to be accused of like begging the question or dirtying the pool here or something with like terminology because robbery kind of implies it's already like baked into the word, right? It's like the wrongful seizure of property. So it's like, well, let's just take that off the table. I'm going to make up a new word, right? Like, so what if instead of calling it robbery, I gave it a different name? So I apologize for the lack of a more creative name. I just took one letter in tax and changed it. So instead of a tax, it is a P, tax. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not using, my pop filter might be, might not be good enough for that. So uh, hopefully Chris does a good job editing the P's out. <laughs> so say I call it paxing. Does that change anything? The AI says, simply changing the name of an act does not alter its nature or the ethical implications associated with it. The act you described, regardless of the name using it, such as paxing, still involves taking someone's belongings or property without their consent. So it's clear the AI understands that we're not dirtying the pool here with the word robbery. We're talking about taking something from someone while they're protesting against it. They haven't actually like agreed to exchange their or give their property or money up. 
And so even if we called it something other than robbery, we can still judge that it's wrong. The item goes on for a while, sort of like overcorrecting for like, hey, just changing the word doesn't, I was like, all right, well, that's not the point. The point was just making sure that I'm not influencing the AI too much with my word choice. So, so I then asked, what if I called it paxing? And now they have the ability to vote on how much they get paxed. All other criteria from above remain the same. So then they, the AI says, even with the introduction of voting and the term paxing, the scenario you described still involves taking someone's belongings or property without their consent. Voting on how much they get paxed does not change the fundamental nature of the act. Consent is not merely about participating in a decision-making process. It is about the voluntary agreement and understanding of the action itself. Voting on the amount does not make it consensual if a person's belongings were taken against their will. Consent requires individuals have the freedom to make a voluntary and informed, it kind of repeats itself here, just defining consent again and again. We're not going to read all that. I then said, okay, would it be consenting if they participated in the vote? And the AI said, if the person who would be affected by the paxing actively participates in the vote and consents to the process, it may seem on the surface that their participation makes it consensual. However, it is important to consider the broader context and underlying dynamics. Consent should be given freely without coercion, manipulation, or a violation of someone's rights. It is crucial to ensure that the person's decision to participate in the vote is truly voluntary and not influenced by factors such as power dynamics, fear, or manipulation. It is worth reflecting on whether the individual truly has a meaningful choice and whether there is an equal balance of power in the situation. If the person's participation is being influenced by the significant power imbalance or the threat of negative consequences, their consent may not be genuine. Moreover, consent is not a one-time event, but an ongoing process. Even if someone initially consents, they have the right to withdraw their consent at any point if they feel uncomfortable or coerced. Ultimately, it is essential to approach situations with empathy, respect for individual autonomy, and a genuine concern for the well-being and rights of others. Consent should be based on open and honest communication, free from coercion and manipulation, to ensure that it is truly consensual. So I then said... And asked, so the consent to participate in the vote would have to be totally free of coercion, free of threats of violence, and would have to be informed consent where they knew all the details of what they were consenting to in order for the paxing to not be theft. AI says, yes, that's correct. In order for the consent to participate in the vote and the concept of paxing to not be considered theft, it is crucial that the consent be given freely without coercion, threats of violence, or other manipulation. Additionally, informed consent requires that the individual has a clear understanding of what they are consenting to. They should be aware of the implications, consequences, and the specific details of the process, including the potential outcomes and any potential harm or loss involved. It should be open and honest communication. Consent should be ongoing and enthusiastic and allowing the individual to make an independent or uninformed decision without undue pressure or influence. And then it Kind of repeats itself a couple times there. That's what the AI does. Then I asked, all right, so what if the person was raised to believe that they owe money to this group and that it is necessary for the survival of the group and it's consensual because they get a vote? The threat of force for non-paying, not paying the tax is still in effect. And if they vote against being paxed and lose the vote, they get paxed still. 
would that be consensual? AI says, even in the scenario you described where the person was raised to believe that they owe money to the group and they have a vote, it's for the good of the group, the presence of coercion, manipulation, and the threat of force undermines the notion of consent in this scenario. Consent requires voluntary agreement free from coercion, manipulation, or the violation of someone's rights. That The fact that the person was raised to believe they owe money to this group and they face the threat of force for non-payment creates an environment that significantly influences the decision-making process. The power dynamics and conditioning in this scenario can greatly limit the individual's ability to make an independent and truly voluntary choice. Their participation in the vote may be influenced by fear, manipulation, or a lack of alternative options. This undermines the notion of genuine consent. It is important to recognize that consent is not valid when it is obtained through coercion, manipulation, or the violation of someone's autonomy. And true consent requires individuals to have the freedom to make an informed decision without fear of reprisal or harm. I then asked, what if the people administering the PACs claimed they had the right to do so? And it's not morally acceptable because the people got to vote on it. And the AI says claims of rights or moral acceptability do not automatically make an action consensual or ethically justifiable. Which is funny, this reminds me of the render unto Caesar passage where Jesus says, won't render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I always ask, well, how do we know what is Caesar's? Is it just anything that Caesar says is his? Is it, more broadly speaking, is what the Bible teaches as what is normative for property claims, just that like, well, if someone demands X by force, that makes it theirs? <laughs> like, no. And I don't think you can take Jesus' answer that way too, because if that's the way that he meant it, the Pharisees would have thought they had him in a gotcha, because that was the whole point of that political trap they were trying to make for him, was either to get him to say that you should pay taxes, and then he'd lose credibility among the Jewish people, or to say that you shouldn't, and that would get him in trouble with the Romans. His answer was disguised enough to, and brilliant enough to actually get to the truth of the matter and leave the Pharisees astounded. So that just that little thing the AI said there reminded me of that. So the AI continues then, rights and morality are complex subjects that involve various ethical frameworks and principles. However, it is important to note that even if a group of people claims they have the right to administer a PAX and justify it based on voting, it does not necessarily make it consensual or morally acceptable. Consent involves voluntary agreement of individuals who have the freedom to make independent choices, again, communication, absence of coercion. It then says, additionally, the moral acceptability is not solely determined by voting or the claim of rights. It involves a broader ethical considerations. And it repeats itself again, kind of, it always kind of like repeats the definition for consent in these answers. Save time, not going to read that every time it comes up. So then I ask, let's say that the people administering the PACs send you to a facility when you were a child and you are raised and taught to believe that this system is necessary for society to function, for there to be flourishing and security. And you are raised to believe that if the majority of people vote for something you vote against, 
it's morally acceptable for the majority to get their way, including in the event that the majority votes to take your money and property against your will. And if you resist this seizure of your property, they can and will use force to make you comply. Would the paxing be consensual? Now we're starting to get a little bit closer to reality here, but just using different terms. The answer from the AI, in the scenario you presented, where a person is raised and conditioned to believe that the paxing system is necessary for a society to function, and that resistance to the majority's decisions will be met with force, it is important to acknowledge the presence of coercion, manipulation, and a violation of individual rights. Consent requires voluntary agreement and the freedom to make independent choices without coercion or the threat of force. And the conditioning in the environment you described significantly limit the person's ability to exercise genuine consent. The presence of forceful consequences for resisting the seizure of their property further undermines the concept of consent. Consent. It is important to note that consent cannot be given under duress when individuals are subject to unjust power dynamics. Respecting the personal autonomy in the absence of coercion are essential in ethical interactions. The scenario you described raises significant ethical concerns, including the violation of individual rights, the suppression of personal autonomy, and conditioning of the individual to accept these things. So... It's funny, like, I, I didn't even use the word conditioning. The AI has several times brought up that what I'm introducing here is conditioning, or uh, another hot-button word is grooming, to get people to believe in the normalcy or legitimacy of a certain relationship. So I said, in other words, in the scenarios I have described to you, taxation is theft. <laughs> and AI said, yes, based on the scenarios you've described, where individuals are coerced, manipulated, conditioned, their consent is not freely given, it can be argued that the actions you refer to as taxation would be considered theft. And then goes on to define theft. Theft is typically involved taking belongings or property without their consent and against their will. And in the scenarios you presented, even if the term taxation is used and some form of voting is involved, the presence of coercion and manipulation Conditioning and the violation of individual autonomy suggests that it aligns more closely with theft than a consensual process. So I said, (laughs) now it's like, all right, it's time to say the quiet part out loud. Drop the mask. What if people administering all of this are the state and the taking of property is called taxation and they claim it's justified because the state is necessary for a society where people can flourish and be safe. And they say it's consensual because it's democracy and you can vote for whether or not to be taxed and how much. But if you vote against taxation, you still get taxed. It's still done via the threat of force. And you are still raised to believe that because you voted and because the state is necessary, that the taxation is consensual. Does that change anything? The AI then says, the scenario you described involves the concept of taxation by the state, and you have highlighted several important elements, such as the state's claim of necessity for societal flourishing and safety, and the democratic voting process, and the threat of force for noncompliance. Taxation is a complex topic that has been the subject of philosophical, political, and ethical debates throughout history. 
In democratic societies, taxation is typically justified based on the collective decision-making process and the need for public goods, services, and infrastructure. The democratic process allows citizens to participate in determining the extent and the nature of taxation policies through their votes and representation. However, it is, it is crucial to recognize that consent, as discussed earlier, requires voluntary agreement and the absence of coercion or force. If individuals are compelled to pay taxes through the threat of force or face negative consequences for noncompliance, it challenges the notion of consent. Furthermore, the ability to vote on taxation does not necessarily make it consensual if the outcome remains the same regardless of the individual's vote. If someone votes against taxation but is still subjugated, subjugated to taxation against their will, it undermines the idea of genuine consent. Ultimately, the ethical justification of taxation relies on a range of factors including the principles of fairness, public interest, and the well-being of society as a whole. And it goes on to do caveats about different people have different views. This is what the AI always does. It has to end with these caveats and these disclaimers. So then I was like, all right. So in the scenario I described where the group is paxing people, they have raised to believe that paxing is good. Did we agree that this didn't constitute true consent on the part of the people being paxed who voted against it? And the AI says, yes, the scenario you described where individuals are raised to believe that paxing is necessary and good, and that they vote against it but are still subjected to it, we previously concluded that this does not constitute true consent. Goes on to kind of restate its reasonings again. So then I said, all right, same question again, but add to the equation that this system of paxing is deemed necessary for the public good and flourishing and safety of society. Does it become consensual now? And the answer was, no, it does not make it automatically consensual. Consent, con consent is based on voluntary agreement and understanding of all parties involved and free from coercion, manipulation, and the violation of individual rights. If a system is deemed necessary for the public good, it is still important to consider the principles of consent and individual autonomy. Consent requires individuals to, again, it re repeats the definition of consent. Furthermore, it is worth noting that assessments of what is necessary for the public good can vary in different differing ethical perspectives and political philosophies shape these judgments and that the recognition of individual rights and autonomy re remains crucial. Then I asked when all things in that scenario are the same, but we replace the term system with the term state and the term taxation for taxation. Does this change the moral calculation? AI says, replacing these terms does not fundamentally change the moral calculation or the principles discussed earlier. The moral assessment of taxation, like any other action or system, depends upon many considerations. Taxation is often justified based on the need for public goods, services, etc., but it still requires a careful examination of consent, individual rights, and fairness. The presence of coercion or force in the enforcement of taxation as well as the violation of individual autonomy, would still raise concerns about the consensual nature of the action. And the claim of the necessity for the functioning of the state and the provision of public goods does not automatically override the importance of voluntary agreement and respect for individual rights. And then you know, more caveats and disclaimers. That I said, what if someone has the option to leave if they don't like being taxed? Does that make it better? Because that's something we hear a lot, right? It's like, well, if you don't like 
the laws here and you, you're losing the votes or whatnot, you can go somewhere else. Now, keep in mind, that's kind of silly when your only options are to go to another state and be subject to a different set of laws and taxes and coercion. Not to mention, leaving the country is not exactly an easy thing to just get up and do. But anyway, figure it was worth asking. The AI says the option to leave a particular jurisdiction or country if one disagrees with the taxation system can be seen as a form of choice or exit. It provides the individuals with an alternative to disengage from the system they find objectionable. It may offer some a degree of relief, um, but however, it's important to consider practically and the practicality and the feasibility of exercising that option. Leaving one's home, family, community, or the country of origin may involve significant challenges and sacrifices such as leaving behind social networks, employment opportunities, or cultural ties. These factors can limit the practicality and the and impact the true voluntariness of the choice to leave. Basically, agrees with me that it's not really a great, like it, I mean, it's, it's preferable that they have the choice to leave than be held against their will, but it's kind of like, doesn't really fix the problem. So then the next question I asked, what if my system was said to be justified because there was an unspoken agreement between the people being paxed and the people controlling the system that the people in control exist to serve the people being paxed and do so to make society function? Would that make the pax consensual? The AI's answer was an unspoken agreement without explicit consent or voluntary agreement does not establish a basis for genuine consent. Consent requires explicit, informed, and voluntary agreement with all parties involved. And I'm going to start just for the sake of time, because sometimes it's just repeating the definitions of consent and all that. I'm not going to keep reading the full responses it gives. So my next question was, all right, now, same question, but take out the word PAX and make it taxation. And instead of system, the state, and the implicit agreement is the social contract. Does the calculus change? When discussing the AI answers, taxation, and the concept of social contract, it is important to note that the idea of a social contract is a philosophical concept used to describe the theoretical concept, I mean, agreement between individuals and the governing authority of a society. And it suggests that individuals tacitly agree to abide by certain rules and laws in exchange for the benefits and protection provided by the governing authority. However, it is essential to recognize that the existence of a social contract does not automatically make taxation consensual. Genuine consent requires explicit, informed, and voluntary agreement, free from coercion and uh, the violation of individual rights. The concept of a social contract and its relationship to taxation has been the subject of debate among philosophers and political theorists. Critics of the social contract argue that it is often an implicit or hypothetical agreement and may not reflect the actual consent of individuals living within a particular society. So as we're coming to a close here, and I still have a lot more of this dialogue that I had with the AI to go into, but the second half of this delves more with the social contract and the legitimacy of the state and really no longer in the conversation with the AI does it have a compelling argument for democracy 
being this magic wand that automatically implies consent. Because if we define consent as the AI, like I, I didn't define consent, the AI did. And the AI defined consent as a voluntary agreement that involves explicit consent, as in that the person is explicitly, in their own words, saying that they agree to what is happening and they're an active participant in it. They are informed as to what is going on. There's no secrets and there is no coercion or threats of violence or violations of their rights. And democracy cannot be used as a sort of substitution for true consent. And so even though in the prior conversations we had with AI, it tried to use democracy as this function of the state that, if included, made the threats of violence and the initiation of taxation that the state employs by its very nature more consensual, once we critically analyze it, this is really just a myth. And again, I want to reiterate that democracy is not the evil here insofar as like like voting and coming to a consensus is always in a vacuum, a preferable way to do things than like, well, I won't say always a preferable way to do things, but it's generally more preferable than other forms, but it can depend on the context of making decisions. But you can't use the results of a vote to then violate the rights of someone else or to somehow make what is usually violence or what is usually theft suddenly not violence or not theft. And when the AI was forced to first consider these topics, but not without understanding I was talking about the state or taxation, but I just described in using different terminology what the state is and what taxation is, they weren't able, the AI does go on in this conversation to then try to defend the state in another way, which I'll go into, again, I don't know if I want to <laughs> keep doing back-to-back-to-back episodes with the AI. I might save the latter half of this conversation for a future episode. But the point is, is that democracy is not analogous to consent. Consent is just its own thing. And consent can be present within a a democracy or present within a decision that's arrived to through democratic means. If there is the absence of coercion, the absence of the violation of rights and that the it's informed, meaning that all of the, you know, variables, all the elements of what's going on are known to the person when they're agreeing to be part of whatever context that the vote is being done in. And, the element of conditioning is also important here because just as conservatives will point out that, you know, rightfully that children are incredibly impressionable and will be opposed to the grooming or the inappropriate sexual impressioning of young children to talk to them about subjects of gender or LGBT sexuality and things like that. We know that's inappropriate to bring up to children. And yet we have our kids go to these public schools where they pledge allegiance to the flag every day, which right away, just on Christian grounds, just to take a minute to, you know, this episode is focused much more on 
on political philosophy, but to speak more biblically here, our allegiance can't not be divided. And I, I wouldn't say this is a problem necessarily with like a two kingdoms point of view, because I think that two kingdoms can be somewhat salvaged, but it is a danger in it where people think that they can have this sort of dual allegiance or dual citizenship. And I don't, I just don't think that's biblical. I think that we are citizens of the kingdom of God and it's not just first, it's only, and our allegiance has to be to that kingdom. Now we are to live peacefully here on this earth under the kingdoms of man, even to the point of persecution, but it can be a little bit tricky about where that line gets drawn. And is there a limit to what a state can do where a Christian might be justified in, in resisting, you know? And I think there's the clear examples of like Radshak, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel and Moses. And when the state is asking you to participate in evil or asking you to forsake God and worship someone or something that's not God, or when God is directly commanding you to, to act against the governing authorities of the state, that clearly most Christians will agree that it's justifiable for a Christian to resist the state in those instances. And for instances that are more matters of inconveniences or are maybe even like actual instances where the state is causing financial harm to us or to others that I think we can oppose those things, but we're not called to violently resist those or to even resist them at all. We're supposed to be subject to them. And so insofar as we turn the other cheek, insofar as we do not repay evil for evil, insofar as we overcome evil by doing good and by being in subjection, like we've talked about, like what it says in passages that we find in first Peter chapter two, which we did an episode on a few episodes back. That is also, I think mostly clear and agreed upon within Christians. It can be difficult to draw the line of in the middle. Is there an area in between those two clear extremes and that is something I think Christians of good faith will have disagreements on. And my personal take is it's complicated and it takes some discernment and guidance from the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between being subject to unjust authority and having your allegiance placed in it. And our allegiance is always to be placed in God. And I think that a necessary component of our faith is not just faith in salvation, but faith in our allegiance to God and to his kingdom and to him as our master, as our king. You know, Jesus is our king and Caesar is not. <laughs> Caesar is not Lord. Caesar is not a legitimate king. And so there's something that I think is very troubling about things like the Pledge of Allegiance and the sort of American mythos that leads to a lot of sometimes mixing of Christianity and, and the sort of like American exceptionalism or American mythology and viewing America as this special chosen nation when, you know, to me, this goes against a lot of what is in the New Testament where Paul says like, no, like back then Paul's saying that it's not about a chosen nation here on earth. It's not about Israel being the chosen na nation. It's not about suddenly, and it's not that God is rejecting the Jews and now choosing the Gentiles. It's that it's not about these earthly nations. It's about our new 
identity in Christ, and that is the nation to which we belong. And this is a, as I'm closing here, a good segue to what's coming up in July, which is Freedom Fest. And I just want to again plug that. I will be moderating the discussion or a panel that we're having on the Friday, July 14th, I believe. If I'm looking at the uh, calendar correctly. <laughs> so yeah, July 14th on Friday. I forget the exact time, but I'll have a link in the show notes. We've officially finalized what we're doing for that session. It's called the Liberty Antidote to Christian Nationalism. And so we're going to be having a conversation that I will be moderating between Carrie Baldwin, Alex Bernardo, Norman Horn, and Ryan McMakin will also be joining us, which we're very excited for that. And we'll be having discussion about Christian nationalism, about Stephen Wolf's book, about theonomy, all these different schools of within Christianity that are looking to nationalism or to some form of theocratic government as a response to what's going on in our culture, in our society, and we'll be explaining why we think they are wrong and instead presenting what we think is the actual solution according to what the scriptures inform us. And so I'm very excited to be part of that. And so we will, of course, I mean, I encourage people if you're going to Freedom Fest or you haven't bought tickets yet, there's still time to do that. And we'd love to see you out there. And also keep an eye open on social media and stuff because we will be streaming this live. And so you'll be able to watch there as well. And of course, it'll be available afterwards to consume. So all relevant stuff. And I'm just excited for all these different conversations and topics that we're exploring. I hope that today's episode was interesting. I hope that you uh, were able to get something from it. I would like feedback, as always, if you like this kind of content, the conversations with the AI. I'm probably going to take a little bit of a break from it because I've done two back-to-back episodes, but I got never-ending and expanding oversupply of content I can do from this because I just have so many conversations that I've had with the AI that are going to be interesting to dive into. And I will probably be making like the full transcripts of those conversations available at some point. I might do like a longer article or something and have that published on LCI. So a lot of things going on. All of you that listen to this, I appreciate it as always. Like, share, subscribe. It always helps. And that's all I got. We will see you again in two weeks. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.